This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. And you are, the show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, whose mission it is to help people to find hope after loss. Well, Heidi, hi. Uh, school's out, right? Good morning, Mom. Yes, it is. The kids are walking around the city, and uh, yes, a lot of schools are either ending this week or about to end, so kind of wrapping up in, in, during the next week. So you're at least in, where we are. Yeah, you're in New York. We get out in June. You're in New York City, and uh, I'm in San Francisco. I don't have any kids in school, so I'm not too sure. But you know, when the school is let out here, but you know, I know this is a hard time for a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I definitely think it is because there's there's kids around, and also there's a lot of graduations going on. I mean, like Columbia is setting up; they've got their tents up. There's a lot of schools that are that are you know setting up for graduation. You see kids walking around in caps and gowns, you know, that are graduating from high school and college, and I think that brings up a lot of stuff for parents. You know, we've had more than one uh, person who's connected with us at the opentohope.com who've been a school teacher who lost a child, and that's really difficult for them, or lost a, a child has lost a parent who won't be there for graduation, and even a parent who maybe was a school teacher, or whatever, a sibling, or, you know, there are a lot of things going on. And then also, even if your child didn't die this year, maybe three or four years ago, this may have been the year they should have graduated. Well, that's what I was going to say, Mom. And, and you know, I, I don't know what you did. I should ask, I don't even know what you did, I've got to say. Did you go to Scott's high school graduation? I know he died when he was a junior. Did you go to his high school graduation, which was a year and a half later? No, I didn't go. I thought about it, uh, but I didn't. Okay, you thought about it, and you decided you'd rather not go. Right. Yep. And I, I think that's good for parents to hear, because I think parents oftentimes are in this thing where they're not sure if they should go and they feel obligated and sometimes they don't want to go and it's interesting to hear what, what people do. And I think they even gave, uh, you know, a scholarship or something for Scott and, um, you know, we were aware of it, but I decided not to go. So, you know, I think you have to make those kind of decisions. And, it, and uh, when your sister Heather graduated a few years later, you know, you thought about it and thought about the fact that, um, that your other child didn't didn't graduate. So, And I think, he, um, I remember Rebecca was sorry that she didn't do something when she got married to Honor Scott. I remember her saying that. So all these little events coming up really make a, a big difference. Well, and I think you're bringing up a good point. There's no right or wrong answer on whether people should attend events. It's really personal. It depends on how you feel and what you want to do. And try not to be pressured into going to things that you really don't want to go to. Yeah, as I said, we had a school teacher whose child died as a senior, and she had asked us what we thought, and uh, she emailed us in, and we basically said, don't go if you don't want to go. I don't care if you, it, you're a teacher at the high school. You don't have to. That's one of the things that happens. We don't have to meet other people's obligations anymore. Right. As a sibling or a parent. I, I like or that whatever. message. It's, it's about you now, and it's your time. And I'm sure with siblings, uh, there are a whole bunch of issues around graduation and all that, too, aren't there, Heidi? Well, there are. And the, and the other piece is, you know, with siblings, maybe the sibling can go and the parent doesn't have to go or whatever. We don't always have to do what our parents are doing. We can each, we, everyone grieves their own way and maybe we'll decide to do something different than our parents. And that's okay. Great. Absolutely. 
Well, Heidi, we've got a great guest today, and she's from the United Kingdom, which uh, I'm excited about. And we always love our people around the world who are connecting with Open to Hope and to hear uh, their aspect and take on things. So we're happy to have Mel on the show, aren't we? Do you want to introduce her? Yeah, Mel Mingus is an amazing mom. She's been on over 70 radio and TV shows, made over 70 appearances. Um, she's written numerous books, and one of them was a Sunday Times number four bestseller. Oh, and we've got to find out which one that called, is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure which one that is. We'll ask her. And she's got a book out called A Painful Postmortem. So like you said, she's calling in from the UK, and I love when we have international guests on the show. Well, Mel, welcome to the show today. I know you have another uh, thing that um, I found interesting is that you're also a brief parent, which we've got all these folks listening to us, and uh, you're another example of a person who has found uh, a way to help to deal with the the terrible losses that we've had in our life, and and, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gloria. It's great to be with you. Now, where are you located? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry? Where uh, am I located? In um, Torquay, um, in South um, Devon, which is the southwest of England. It's supposed to be the English Riviera. Ah. We have, we have palm trees, and um, uh, we're supposed to have a climate similar to the, English, to the French Riviera. I don't think it's quite as hot mm. as that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds beautiful. It does indeed. Yeah, yeah it is lovely, yes. Yeah. And you were saying there was. I was very interested to hear you talking about graduation because um, Mm -hmm. I went to my daughter's graduation, but in a way, all my grief and loss started uh, well before that, about uh, 19 years before that, because when she was 14, she started uh, on cannabis. She was expelled from school for. She was a, a weekly boarding school, Catholic school, and she was expelled for a short time for smoking. And we later discovered that it was cannabis. Mm-hmm. And um, she graduated from that to heroin, and by the time she was 18, she was a fully-fledged heroin addict. And I, mm. the the sense of grief that you have about that, watching your child on a self-destruct, is immense. And I know, um, I know, we have a lot of audience who has those issues too, because we have them write to us a lot and email us a lot about about that path and what's happened and. Uh, it, it's quite a tremendous path, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. I mean, it's like a bereavement in itself, really, um, because you're watching this child that you've nurtured for years, and, and as I say, they're just on a, a self-destruct path. Mm-hmm. But um, she continued like this for 13 years, <laughs> and um, and then um, we tried to get her help and get her off for drugs um, for years because the the one thing she wanted, I think she started thinking that this was a form of escapism because um, her father and I were divorced and she very rapidly discovered that far from being escapism, it actually enslaved her and and had power over her, that she was no longer um, making the choices as to whether to take drugs or not. The drugs were choosing her. Mm -hmm. And... um, and so she begged us for help, and we helped her three times to try and come off the drugs and succeeded in many ways. Um, but always there was that problem of lifestyle because um, we realized that unless you change the lifestyle, you're not actually able to um, deal with the psychological aspects of being on drugs. You can get them physically off drugs, but not the psychological aspects. 
Yeah, and the psychological then is such a painful thing. I mean, the psychological yes. can really have a grip on you. Yes, yeah, that, that's, that's right. And uh, as I say, she desperately wanted to be free. And eventually, um, she, my eldest daughter had married a farmer, and my youngest daughter, uh, my middle daughter, decided she was going to go and help with lambing, which was something she'd done when she was a little girl. And so she went off to a very remote part of the country to help with lambing um, on our son-in-law's farm and discovered she couldn't get drugs. And so she was in a situation where she just couldn't get hold of heroin. And really, that is what released her. That and a lot of prayer from our church. And I had the great joy then of seeing her graduate some years later. And how old was she then? When she graduated, she took... she. She was 24, I think, when she actually managed to kick the heroin habit. And you saw her graduate. How wonderful. What is her name, by the way? Sally. Polly? Sally. In- Sally. How do you spell that? S for sugar. Uh-huh. A-double-L-Y. Oh, Sally. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what happened then? So Sally died of... Uh, well, she then, as I say, she kicked her habit and she stayed on um, nearby, near near where my eldest daughter was living. And uh, she got herself um, a job and she, uh, and then she decided she was going to go to college. And she had always been interested in a farming life. I don't know why, because it's not in my background at all, nor her father's. But um, she took herself to an agricultural college and... Uh, um, how, I think it was three years, of course, and three years later I went to her graduation, mm. which is what made me think of it, because right. you were talking about graduation right. earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the sense of pride that I had to see that she'd not just kicked her heroin habit, but she'd, she'd made a whole new life for herself. And, um, I mean, she was quite a bolshy little thing. I can remember she she was, you know, determined that she was going to be as good as the boys and drive the tractor and do all the other <laughs> things. <laughs> but um, she then settled down with a young man and um, they had a baby. She She would not get married. He wanted to marry her, but she wouldn't. I think all the years in London being on heroin and... She tells me she never had to sell her body, but I guess that there were, you know, sexual um, connotations to her lifestyle. And um, so she never really fully trusted men again, but um, she did live with her baby's father and they had a very happy life together. And she was very, very proud of um, having kicked the habit. Mm -hmm. And you must have been very proud of her. Yes. She asked me if I would write a book about it, and I said, no, I wouldn't, because I was so afraid that people would find her and get her back onto drugs again. And she nagged me about it, and eventually um, she, we agreed that I would write a, um, a magazine article, because I was already a, a published writer, at this, and I have been for many years. And so uh, I wrote a magazine article for her, um, telling how she had got off her habit and and how important all these aspects of getting a different lifestyle in place um, was so crucial to coming off the drugs. 
and the, the psychological dependency. Mm-hmm. And uh, we agreed between us that uh, the, the magazine wanted to have photographs, but we agreed between us that they would be either blurred or they would not be full frontal photographs. And uh, so the photographer came to take the photographs. And, of course, Sally, um, I suppose, was she wanted everyone to know. She wanted to shout it from the house, the rooftops. And so she said that she wanted to have full frontal photographs. And she had them uh, with her baby in her arms. And the magazine article was published. And a short time after that, um, on my wedding anniversary to her stepfather, because I'd remarried, uh, I had a phone call, that, the phone call that I had dreaded throughout those 13 years, and that in the five years she'd been off drugs, I had, you know, I'd had peace, I'd set that aside, that, that concern. And uh, the morning of my wedding anniversary, I had the phone call uh, telling me that she had been found dead in her home. And... It was devastating, all the more so because, as I say, it's a phone call I'd been dreading while she was on drugs, and now it just seems so ironic, now that she was off drugs, that this phone call had come through. And and what did she die of? She, um, there was obviously a post-mortem and um, an inquest, and... Um, the post-mortem said that she had, well, they, disc- they, they learned that she'd been to um, a barbecue that evening and uh, she had had very little alcohol to drink, um, but she had died from a single dose of morphine, mm. prescription morphine, not, not heroin, you know, you know that is so tragic, and I can't. A number of people have had this happen, where they they've gotten their kids have gone off the drugs, or they've been in treatment, and then uh, their body just can't tolerate anything. I guess at all. It's yeah. a, it's yeah. uh, well s- such an incredible. Rather more to it. Mm-hmm. Rather more to it than that, because the police arrested the two people who had walked her home from the um, from the barbecue. Oh dear. And, um, but the coroner um, put on on the post-mortem that um, she had died an accidental death and that she had taken the morphine herself. And um, I think one of the things when you are newly bereaved, you want, you want to write the story that's the truth for your child. You want the world to know that she, that she did win a victory, that she did triumph over her uh, addiction, that she didn't um, succumb to it. And, and this was very strong in me. I, I was determined to prove that she had not taken this morphine herself. And um, so her father from whom I was divorced, um, agreed that we would do all that we could to overturn this verdict of accidental death. And um, we had, um, well, we we researched all sorts of things. We discovered that what the coroner thought were puncture marks for um, heroin needles were actually, um, she'd been to an acupuncturist for, um, because she'd had stomach cramps. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and period pains. 
and uh, we discovered that um, the local pharmacist had been broken into and somebody had stolen the, these morphine tablets. We discovered that um, when the police first searched the house, there was no evidence of morphine in the house, but later, uh, when people had been in and out of the house, suddenly two morphine tablets turned up. Mm-hmm in a very obvious place where they, they should have been seen. And so there was a very big question mark over the whole thing. And when we had the inquest, um, we were able to overturn that verdict of accidental death um, because she was a heroin addict or because she had been a heroin addict. And um, a different verdict was brought in. Um, but the... P- the police wanted us to prosecute and um, take the two people who'd been arrested to court, but we felt that we had had enough, really. Our other two children had um, grown up with this, and, you know, it had obviously affected them and uh, all the years that we'd been worrying about Sally. And so we left it at that. But um, and how I think it was an enormous... Yeah. Hello? Go ahead. You think it was an enormous what? Oh. I was going to say, how long ago was that? This was um, 14 years ago. Uh-huh. But, you know, this morning I walked into my sitting room and um, when Sally was a little girl, she spent all her pocket money on collecting little farm animals. I, I said that she was always interested in farming and in lambing particularly. And um, my little five-year-old grandchildren twin grandchildren play with those toys now but I never put them with in the playroom with the other toys because they're so precious I don't want them to be lost amongst the other toys and so I keep them in the sitting room in a box and this morning I walked in and I saw these toys there and I welled up and it doesn't matter how long after the event it that sense of loss and, and grief never really leaves you completely. Mm-hmm. But, however, is, isn't there a bit of a sweetness to have that attachment, to know that you have some connection? Through, my, through her son, you mean? Yeah, and through, you know, the little animals and the feeling you get. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. It's a part of her. And, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of reminders around the house. I made up my mind that I was not going to be one of these people who... Um, creates a sanctuary, you know, somewhere that everything is, is there and untouched. Um, I mean, you've, you said earlier that everybody has to grieve in their own way, and if people choose to do that, then I don't um, look down on them in any way, but it was not my way of grieving. Um, but the things that I had already of Sally's, um, you know, little bits of craft that she did and little bits of drawing and painting that she did... Um, um, which were already hanging on my walls. I've kept those, and so there are reminders of her all over the place. Mm-hmm. And we ne- and we certainly never forget them. Well, Mel, I wanted to before we close the show. I wanted to talk to you about your workshops. You do writing workshops with people, right? I do. Yes. And and is that just in the UK area? Do you do anything online for people? No, no, no. Um, I well the. Physical ones that I've done have been in the UK, yes. I've, I've never been asked to do one abroad, so. <laughs> um, but I also do online, um, um, you know, creative writing um, techniques. Mm-hmm. And, 
And and so and it, you've done a lot of bestseller books, so you'd be a great person for people to connect up with. And and do you find that it's helpful to write about this for people to write about their losses? Immensely, I think whether you're a, an author or not. I mean, I, I as I say, I've been published now for twenty five years. But whether you're an author or not, I think there's something very um, cathartic about writing about your feelings. Sometimes uh, my experience was that when Sally first died, very often people didn't want to talk to me because they were embarrassed. They didn't know what to say or how to say it. And the one thing I did want was to talk about Sally. Um, But sometimes you yourself don't want to talk to other people and actually just being able to write something in a book about how you really feel is so therapeutic and I would urge anybody who's newly bereaved to just pour themselves out onto paper you know you may choose to show it to someone or you may not but it is so therapeutic to do that it's quite different from just thinking the thoughts because you can go back and read it again and you can see how you've progressed or how your thoughts have changed it is it's so valuable to do that and, and how would people uh, find you to to uh do your workshop and uh, do you have a you have a website can you give us that yes i do it's www.melmingis spelled men's is like the uh australian prime minister the old australian prime minister dot co dot uk great well Mel- and i love to Love to hear from people. I always respond to people personally if they get in touch with me. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm happy to hear from anybody. Well, thank you. And so the book. Good. The book is available as well on the website, um, A Painful Postmortem. Yeah. Do you want to say something quickly about A Painful Postmortem? Because it's based a bit on your knowledge and your loss of uh, salary, yes, right? Yes, it is. It, it's it's written as a novel, but it is um, quite true to the story that we went through. The reason I wrote it as a novel was to protect my um, my grandson, my, my daughter's um, child, because he was, has been brought up by his father, and I didn't want him to be got at when he was little. Um, so I, I felt it was better to write it as a, a novel. But it is true to Sally's story. So get a painful postmortem. It's a, it's a wonderful a book. Wonderful book and a great read. And Mel, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, thank you for being so generative and your offer to have people get in touch with you. It's it's really wonderful, and and hope things are going well for you in the UK. And uh, we hope to meet you sometime. Thank you, thank you. Well, I think you'll do a wonderful job, you and Heidi. Thanks, I have Mel. I have looked at your website. Yeah. Great. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks so much. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Open to Hope show, and Heidi uh, Mel uh, is a wonderful uh, storyteller. You can tell from her uh, talking about her daughter Sally and the life, how she she puts things together and and, uh, has moved on to help people with her writing and everything. It's great, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think, and her honesty is really good. And, and, you know, just talking about um, the journey her daughter took, and I think it's helping so many people out there who've had a similar journey. Absolutely. Well, we hope you'll tune in again next week uh, when we'll have the Open to Hope show again with Dr. Heidi and Dr. Gloria. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com. 
along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.